The Big 12 has decided it's time to separate themselves from the Pac-12 and maybe go hunting. We'll talk about that ahead on today's show. We'll talk about also one of the positions along BYU's offensive front, the center position, an all-important position. Will BYU's center position be able to lead this offensive line into the season this fall? We'll examine that as our position group previews continue on today's edition of Locked on Cougars. You are Locked on Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, resident BYU insider. Thank you for making us here on Locked On Cougars, your first listen of the day. We always appreciate you guys checking out the show. We are proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and of course, the motto for our network is your team every day, and as such, this is your only daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. The goal here, simply stated, is to make you the smartest BYU fan in the room, and even if you're not necessarily a BYU fan checking us out, we'll make you smarter, period. By way of introduction. My name is Jake. Once again, I work for the KSL Sports Zone in Salt Lake City, Utah as the executive producer of DJ and PK in our morning drive slot. Absolutely love doing sports radio and talking all things Utah sports, jazz, Utes, Cougars, Aggies, all that RSL. But the best part is with this podcast, I get to narrow in on one of my true loves, and that is the BYU Cougars. Talking football and basketball in particular, but we cover it all on today's show. Without further ado, let's get into some conference realignment talk. Pete Thamel from ESPN announced earlier, I guess it's been yesterday, that according to his sources, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 will not be pursuing partnerships any longer. He said it was, quote, discussed extensively over the past two weeks. There are at least three Zoom calls, according to Thamel, between top league officials in the Big 12 and the Pac-12, and other calls between other factions of the leagues, including legal departments, to discuss different options. Now, what were some of the options on the table? According to a Pac-12 source briefed on the conversation, said that the Big 12 had expressed interest on Friday and possibly exploring a full merger. A Big 12 source said of the three options laid out by the Pac-12, those included pooling their media rights together, so taking all 22 teams is currently constituted and going after a media rights deal in that respect, a scheduling concept, or fully combining the leagues. But that is where the Big 12 apparently decided after a weekend of negotiation, according to Thamel, it was not in their best interest. Now, why in the world would this fall apart? Well, I think it's because the Big 12 is looking at it and saying, why in the world do we want the Oregon states and the Washington states when in theory we can go wabbit hunting, to use the Looney Tunes example, we can go Pac-12 hunting, speaking of an Elmer Fudd reference, and go after some of the big fish in the Big 12. Those big fish, namely Oregon, Washington, and then what are the four corner schools, Utah, Colorado, and the Arizona schools, and see which of those you can pick off. I am of the opinion that Brett Yormark and the Brain Trust with the Big 12 Conference looked at all the options available to them and decided, you know what? We need just to chase what we can get. And let's go out there and see if we can pick off the bigger pieces of the Pac-12. Why do we need to partner with all these other schools that may not necessarily bring in the same type of eyeballs and also bring in extra dollars to us? The one part of this that I don't necessarily understand why they wouldn't pursue it a little heavier, but it's probably because of just the two schools being what they are, Stanford and Cal. Fan interest in the Bay Area and those two programs is waning at the very best. It's just not necessarily uh, a top level. It's a pro sports market. We all know that. But 
that market is very valuable. So maybe you consider that if you're the Big 12. But the biggest thing right now is I feel like the Big 12 said, okay, you want us to uh, essentially bring y'all in and take care of you guys when in theory we can just turn around and start making overtures to some of your big dogs and see if we can pick them off. Uh, John Canzano up there in Oregon, he's now saying that the ACC Pac-12 quote-unquote loose partnership we've heard about might be the next uh, avenue that the Pac-12 examines or the Pac-10 in this circumstance. I'm of the opinion, if you're the Big 12, if you're Brett Yormark, be aggressive. He already said we're open for business, and he did mention that we're going to be aggressive in looking at expansion candidates. I think that this news of the partnerships talks falling apart, it's actually probably music to a guy like Brett Yormark's ears because he sounds like a guy who is a take-no-prisoners type of approach when it comes to him just being a human being. He's worked in the partnerships field. He's worked in different uh, pro sports. Uh, he's run uh, the business side of an agency, Rock Nation, which is Jay-Z's agency out there. This is a guy who knows what it takes to get to the top of various uh, platforms and markets and sports. Well, what does he want to do? He wants to bolster his new job and make it as attractive as possible for their upcoming media rights negotiations. There was also in this report from uh, from ESPN, from Pete Thamel, saying that the media rights coming up in 2024 for the, PAC, for the Pac-12 and then also 2025 for the Big 12 was a little bit of an issue. I don't see why that would have been an issue at all, personally, because you can work that out. You could just say, hey, let's, let's take all of these rights together and go to market right now and see what we can get. Apparently, the Big 12 decided it is in their best interest to back away from that. And I actually uh, appreciate this because I am of the opinion that you don't need to have all 22 of these teams on the West Coast or in the Intermountain West. Well, actually, it's not, it'd be a nationwide conference. The majority of the programs, funny enough, would end up, it'd probably be a, almost an even split between the Intermountain West and the West Coast versus the, the Midwest and Eastern time zones. But you don't need the bottom feeders over there sucking uh, the the well dry. You can go out and get potentially an Oregon and a Washington and not have to bring on Oregon State and Washington State unless you are absolutely forced to. And I don't see the Big 12 uh, being like, well, well, we'll welcome them in. They have said, and this is a quote, we used this quote last week on the podcast from Brett Yormark. All of these programs, if you're going to add something, they must be additive, not dilutive. They need to bring value to the conference. They cannot just dilute it and take down the overall number that these programs are are making. The other thing about this is I think the era of equal revenue sharing amongst these conferences is coming quickly to an end. I think that you're going to see the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12, ACC, whenever theirs comes up, even the Pac-10 if it stays together, they are going to have their heavy hitters, the, the top dogs in the conference, they're going to make more money than the bottom feeders. They, it's the, the era of Vanderbilt making just as much as Alabama, for example, that's over. That's not going to happen. Rutgers is not going to make the same as Ohio State, I think, in the new era of the Big Ten. If that is going to be the case, here is my prediction. In the next round of realignment, you're going to see conferences actually dumping teams out of these conferences. The bottom feeders, it's not relegation. It's just like, hey, we don't want you anymore. Get out of here. That is what I believe will kind of be the next step if uh, the money that for these conferences, if they feel like they're not uh, pulling their weight, speaking of some of these programs that have been traditionally uh, bottom dwellers, uh, whatever you want to call them, 
they could be kicked out of these conferences. We have not seen that since the Big East kicked Temple out of their conference way back when. I know some of you are probably like, they did that? Yeah, they did. It was back in the, was it the late 90s, early 2000s when they did that. Temple was just horrendous. And they're not great right now. They had a decent run uh, in the middle 2000s under Al Golden and actually had some good things going for them. But they're right back to the bottom. And that's the reason why a program, uh, a conference like the Big East, when it was a football powerhouse, just kicked them to the curb and said, get out of here. That is what I believe could be the next step in conference realignment. Unless you come to an agreement where the Ohio States, the Bamas, the the Texas A&Ms, if the Pac-10 stays together, the Washington, the Oregons, the Utahs, they are going to get a more a larger share of that revenue pie. If that happens, then I think these parties will be okay with that. But if it's all about equal revenue shares and they're forced to do that, the next step I feel like will be for some of these conferences to cast off those so-called bottom feeders. But the nice part of a program like BYU and the Big 12, all of them are pretty much on an equal footing. It feels like many ways, even with the new schools coming in, they have to be thinking we can compete right away. We can be in the top half of this conference. Texas and Oklahoma are going to be exiting. They are not going to be the big fish in the pond for very long. You need to have some of these programs rise to the occasion and why not have that be BYU and if it comes to it could BYU find themselves making more of a quote unquote lion's share of that revenue if they truly do compete at an elite level. Obviously that's a wishful thinking because you have to go out there and prove it on the field once you get into the Big 12 in just under a year's time but this is a very interesting time in conference realignment, but I actually really like the, the fact that the Big 12 said pushed back from the table and said, you know what? Why are we thinking about bringing in everybody here? Why don't we just back away and start making overtures to the bigger schools? Uh, John Canzano, one thing, one date to pay attention to is August 4th. That is when the 30-day negotiating window, the exclusive rights negotiating window with ESPN and Fox is up for the Pac-12. Pac-12 Media Day is just over a week away on July 29th. Could we have some information by Pac-12 Media Day? I would expect that George Klyovkov, their commissioner, will get up and obviously try to spin it and make things look as good as they possibly can be in his mind. Uh, for the conference, but when that uh, media rights negotiating window comes up on August 4th, will we have a clearer picture of what the future is going to be for the Pac-10? I sure hope so, and I would imagine if they have some concrete answers, some numbers that they think are what they're going to be in their best interest, they may reveal them at Pac-12 Media Day. So it's something to pay attention to as a Big 12 and a BYU fan is Pac-12 Media Day. I know not necessarily all of it is going to be of interest to you, but pay attention to what George Klyovkov has to say, because that could be very telling about what the next step or steps in conference realignment entail. But I actually, I got mad respect for the Big 12 saying, you know what? We're good. We're, we're just going to go, we're, we're going to go pack 12 hunting. We're going to go get, uh, the, let's go duck hunting. Let's go husky hunting. Let's, let's go get these big fish. Let's go get the Utahs, the Colorados. Let's go Arizona, Arizona State. Come in, join us, make us better. And these other programs, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Best of luck in the future. All right, coming up here in just a minute, we'll continue on with our position group previews, looking at the center position for BYU's offensive line. James Empey is out, but they have an established guy who's been a starter for the better part of two years along that offensive line stepping into that position. Who else might contend at the center position? We'll get to that next. And then later on, a little bit later on in today's show, we need to talk about an interesting tidbit from a great story on Bronco Mendenhall. Yes, the former BYU coach enjoying, I guess, pseudo-retirement in a way. A great piece from David Hill at ESPN uh, and 
withheld one thing about his time at BYU. I don't think it's ever been revealed before. We'll get to that here momentarily. First, though, a word on our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar are the best tasting protein bars that I've ever had. The best part about Built Bars as a BYU fan is they have a name, image, and likeness agreement with all BYU football players. They are paying the tuition for BYU's walk-ons while also giving the scholarship players some extra money to work with. It's in the thousands of dollars, and that's the best part about this, is when you support our friends at Built Bar, you're supporting the BYU football program and the players inside that program. What do I love about Built Bars? Well, I'll be frank. I absolutely think they're the best tasting protein bar for the money. There's a, uh, that's a banana, uh, banana bread flavor I got here today, but give it a shot. My friends, the macros on these are absolutely incredible. 130 to 190 calories, uh, 16 to 19 grams of protein per bar. The best part is the sugars and net carbs are absolutely minuscule relative to any other protein bar and a candy bar, especially net carbs for candy bar can run anywhere from 30 to 40 net carbs, a built bar, five to six net carbs at the very most. It's absolutely incredible. They're incredibly delicious tasting. They will satisfy your sweet tooth. They're covered in 100% chocolate. You cannot beat them. So get to built.com right now. Place your order for whatever you want from built.com. They got a myriad of different flavors. They got the built puff bars, which are a protein infused marshmallow bar. If the regular built bars are a little too dense for your liking, give them a shot. That's built.com. Use the promo code locked 15 while you're there. That's L O C K E D one five for 15% off your order. Once again, promo code locked 15 at built.com support BYU football and support our friends at built bar. Which NFL stars move the betting line the most? They have been running this all week long on the Locked On NFL channel from our friends at Bet Online. These are athletes in the NFL that move betting lines, and they're actually some of the quarterbacks that you may think of obviously are going to move betting lines. Some you may not think of, and even some players who in your top 50 countdown of the best NFL players probably don't even make your personal top 50, but they have that big of an impact, according to our friends, the odds makers over at Bet Online. It's been going on all week long on the Locked On NFL channel. Get it wherever you get your podcast podcast and also subscribe to it on YouTube. Very interesting. A guy like Miles Garrett, for example, made the top 50 top fifty list. Miles Garrett is one of the premier defensive players in the NFL, but is he a top 50 player in your book? Maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but according to our friends at Bet Online, he made the top 50. I saw somebody make a joke the other day, uh, I think yesterday's podcast, they had Jared Goff in there. Like, Jared Goff is worth that much? Well, he's a quarterback, and quarterbacks really have dominated the NFL for the better part of three or four decades now, and Jared Goff, even as uh, playing for the lowly Detroit Lions, he moves the line enough to be in that top 50. So check that out, my friends, on the Locked On NFL channel. All right, time to continue on now with our position group previews. And let's talk about BYU's center position. James Ampey has been holding down this position for the better part of four seasons. Obviously, injuries the last two years precluded him from really uh, reaching the heights that he hoped to. The hope is for him now as an undrafted free agent with the Dallas Cowboys, with training camp starting, I believe it's later this week for him, he's going to have to go in there and show what he can do with the Cowboys. What I like about his chances is the Cowboys brought in, I think they drafted one offensive lineman and maybe signed one or two more. They don't have a lot of offensive linemen on the roster currently, so there's a chance for James Empey to make that roster if he has a good showing in training camp, and we wish him nothing but the best. But what does he leave behind him at BYU? Well, he leaves behind actually a well-stocked unit at that center position. And what I have done, because the offensive line, to preview it all in one fell swoop, would probably take two or three podcasts. So we're going to do 10 tackles, guards, and centers all separate. I wanted to talk about centers today because it's the position that really runs this offensive line. They are responsible to make the calls when they come up to the offensive line. A lot of times you'll see a center walk up and they point at a player. Uh, you've probably seen this in-game. you probably wondered what that is. Typically, the center is pointing out what they call the mic. It, 
It is the middle linebacker. They call it the Mike in most uh, parlance. And that allows the offensive line to know, okay, that is where the middle of the defense is because a lot of the other decisions about protections, run gap, uh, prote- uh, all that different stuff, the run gap schemes, all that, go off of making sure you know where the middle of the defense is. And even when they call an audible, you'll see that center check again and he'll point out, okay, there is the mic. It gives the other four offensive linemen their cue of knowing what they need to do on that given play. And that is where Connor Pay steps into the fray because he has been absolutely lights out in relief of James Empey the past two years. He made 10 starts a year ago of the 13 games that BYU played in. Not all of them at center, but when he was called upon, Connor Pay was absolutely marvelous. Uh, he goes into training camp. They have him listed. There's an or next to his name on the depth chart at center with Joe Tukuafu. Joe Tukuafu could end up being a center for BYU as well if he is beaten out at right guard because he's currently in a position battle with Campbell Barrington at that right guard spot. So the biggest uh, combination issue for BYU right now is they probably go 10 deep with starting caliber offensive linemen and you need to find the best combo of five guys that you can get out there. If Connor Pay is better with the guys along the offensive line, well he'll end up uh, continuing to start at center, but if Joe Tukuafu, if he proves he's more than capable at center and you have a guy like Campbell Barrington who's coming off a freshman All-American campaign at right guard, really pushing for time, who's to say you don't slide Joe Tukuafu into that slot? Uh, Tell Campbell, hey, you've still got time on your side. You're only a sophomore, whereas Joe Tukuafu is a redshirt senior. I'm going to give him the first crack of this. It's obviously not going to make a guy like Connor Pate that happy, but he has been a guy when called upon in whatever circumstance it has been, he has been more than capable. The good news is at the center position for BYU, I believe they go at least three deep because if whether it's Connor Pate or Joe Tukuafu, Tukuafu as your center, as your starting center, excuse me, either one of them ends up as your backup and they're starting caliber guys. Both of them have started multiple uh, years in a row at BYU and they can play a myriad of different positions. I would actually trust both of those guys to play right uh, guard, left guard, or center if needed. The good news is you have that talent leading BYU center position. And there's one other name to pay attention to. The third string center here is Sam Daw. That last name may sound familiar. Familiar. He is the cousin of former BYU uh, defensive lineman Zach Daw, as well as former BYU offensive lineman Parker Daw. He is a transfer, a walk-on from Idaho State. He prepped at Spanish Fork High School down there in Spanish Fork, Utah. Went to Idaho State for a time after a mission. Decided, you know what? I want to play closer to home and walked on at BYU. And during spring ball, Sam Dahl was actually very, very good. So I think that the nice part is for BYU at the center position, it felt like a year ago, in some ways, had you seen, and what we saw with Joe, uh, not Joe Tukuafu, with... Uh, 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 who am I thinking of? James Empey, excuse me, going down injured. Well, suddenly behind him, you obviously had Connor Pay, but the question mark behind that was who was going to step up and maybe be that backup to Connor Pay. It probably would have been Joe Tukuafu still last year, despite him really manning that left guard position, or excuse me, the right guard position all year long. But the nice part is this year, I think Sam Daw has come on very, very nicely, and he figures to be a guy that BYU can count on moving forward here. He's not necessarily the most uh, technically gifted or offensively gifted player, but he's six foot three, almost 300 pounds. Uh, he is a guy that I think is more than capable. If, if needed in a pinch, he probably ends up on the depth chart for BYU at center, and probably could end up as a starter if needed, but the hope is that you can allow him to sit by, uh, work on 
on his technique for another year and then maybe move into the rotation beginning with Big 12 play in 2023. So there's a lot going on with this center position, but the nice part is there's a lot of depth and talent inside of it. Other names you could see potentially getting some work at center include Donovan Hanna, a former a tight end who is bulked up now at six foot four, 300 pounds. He's a redshirt freshman, appeared in one game a year ago. And the other name I wanted to get on your radar with regards to the offensive line, if and this is probably a ways down the road with regards to possibly needing him, but if they do need to throw him in there, I think he could play the position. It's Peter Falanico. He is a freshman coming in from Pineview High School in St. George. Uh, I think he's got the, he's not necessarily the tallest offensive lineman, and that's what centers typically, they're usually not the tallest guys out there, but he's only six foot three. He weighs 315 pounds on BYU's roster coming into this fall. He is a guy, I guess, if you wanted to go five deep, he'd probably be in that mix, but the good news is, I think you got at least three, if not four options along that center group that probably could be a good a good option for BYU. That's that's the positive. You lose James Empey. You never want to lose a multi-year starter, a former All-American in his own right. But the good news is you've got more than capable replacements for him and guys who I think have been proven the last couple of years, especially in the case of a guy like Connor Pay, to have been more durable and more available for BYU. The best ability is availability. We talk about that often here on the podcast, and that's what Connor pays probably calling card is the hope is he stays fully healthy and BYU benefits from that this upcoming season all right coming up here in just a minute we'll wrap up today's show with some other notes uh, involving BYU football Jaron Hall added to another prestigious award watch list one that BYU is a rich history list will rich history with we'll get to that we'll also talk about Bronco Mendenhall uh, some of the notes from a new uh, profile of him and also a baseball note as well a new coach joining the BYU baseball staff we'll get to all of that here in just a second first though a word on our friends a local sponsor of ours over at Intercap Lending there is a reason that no lender is helping more families in the state of Utah with their mortgage needs than our friends at Intercap Lending and the reason Intercap they get deals done they feature a quick and simple process to closing loans two weeks faster than the industry average and although fast is great the ultimate goal is to create a stress-free home loan process for you, the consumer. And that is what Locked On's personal loan officer, Intercap Lending, Steve Carter, has been delivering to hundreds of Locked On listeners since 2018. Yes, he's got about five years of experience doing this with Locked On listeners. He's worked with David Locke, the podfather himself, the guy who founded this network. So give it a shot, my friends. Uh, Steve would love nothing more than to help you guys out. He works with Locked On Cougars listeners. And when you mention you, myself or the Locked On Cougars podcast, they give you a corporate rate discount at Intercap Lending. You can't beat that. Getting discounts is always a good thing. So any questions you might have about the home lending process, refinancing, new home purchases, new home builds, Intercap, they can help you with all of it. Reach out to Steve anytime you got questions. 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. You can go to intercaplending.com to learn more there. Or if you want to have us broker a meeting for you guys, reach out to us. Locked on BYU at gmail.com. We'll get you in touch with Steve and the crew over at Intercap Lending. The best part is Intercap Lending, they have been around since 1978, 44 years of experience behind them. They want to help you guys out. So once again, give Steve that call. His phone number, 385-800-8528. That's Intercap Lending, NMLS number 190465. Intercap Lending is an equal housing lender. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Uh, one housekeeping item b- before we go here. Some of you have mentioned in our comments recently on YouTube that you want to see more slides or more graphics. Yeah, I guess you're sick of looking at my ugly mug. I don't know. 
I will work on that. I, I, I need to see what I can do with that because there are some copyright things I have to navigate with that with YouTube. So I'll see what I can do. Maybe get some more graphics and pictures, that type of stuff. We'll, we'll work that in. So thank you for your feedback. Always appreciated it. Uh, it's always fun to hear from you guys and feel free to reach out anytime you want to reach out the show. You can find us locked on Cougars on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, my personal Twitter feed. Uh, find me. I'm at Jacob C hatch, the at symbol. You guys know how it works on Twitter. And then as always, you can email the show locked on BYU at gmail.com comments, concerns, questions, advertising inquiries. We got it all, or just drop us a comment. That, that, that's always appreciated. Make sure, by the way, if you're not doing so, I'm pointing the wrong way. Uh, hit that button right down here for new podcasts. If you're new to the show on YouTube, subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for the support. All right. Some interesting notes here. Let's start off with Jaron Hall. He's been named to the Davey O'Brien award preseason watch list. One of 35 quarterbacks uh, honoring the nation's top returning collegiate quarterbacks. It is presented annually to the best college quarterback and is the oldest and most prestigious national quarterback award. The award honors candidates who exemplify Davey O'Brien's enduring character while exhibiting teamwork, sportsmanship, and leadership in both academics and athletics. For lack of a better term, it's just the best quarterback in the country. In 1981, uh, Jim McMahon was the first recipient of the Davey O'Brien National Quarterback Award. BYU quarterbacks have won this award four times, second only to Oklahoma, who have won five. Jim McMahon won it, Steve Young, in 1983, and then Ty Detmer won it twice in 1990 and 1991. And then also Robbie Bosco finished runner-up in 1984. Steve Sarkeesian, the current uh, Texas coach, he finished third in 1996. So BYU's got a really rich history with the Davey O'Brien Award. And best of luck to Jaron Hall. If he has a special season, he could be in the running for it. But it's going to take some pretty monster numbers and a pretty gaudy record probably for him to have an opportunity to win that. All right, back to football in a minute. But baseball uh, has BYU baseball head coach Trent Pratt has officially announced the hiring of Abe Alvarez as the new pitching coach for BYU. He spent the last four seasons as the, as an assistant coach at the University of Nevada. Uh, the good thing about Coach Alvarez, he comes in having All-American accolades from his time at Long Beach State. He was 23-5 and with a 2.56 ERA over three seasons. In 2003, he helped Long Beach reach its first ever NCAA Super Regional appearance. He was the Big West Pitcher of the Year. But the more important thing, after being drafted in the second round by the Boston Red Sox, he made the trip from the quickest trip from single-A ball to the big leagues in Red Sox history, making his MLB appearance in July of 2004. And many of you know that in 2004, the Red Sox won the World Series. Yes, he has a World Series ring. So... He's got the hardware, uh, the accolades to back up whatever he says to BYU's pitchers. Uh, there have been, I think, three or four players from BYU's baseball program who have been drafted in the MLB draft. I'm going to let that wrap up today, and we'll do a full recap of where they were taken yesterday. I already know that Andrew Pintar, uh, congratulations to him. Also, Cy Nielsen was taken, but we'll do a full recap of the MLB draft outcome for BYU baseball on tomorrow's edition of the podcast, so stay tuned for that. But congratulations to Coach Abe Alvarez, uh, BYU's new baseball pitching coach. All right, final thing here. There's a really long profile of former BYU and Virginia coach Bronco Mendenhall on ESPN.com. I will link this in the show notes. Uh, and Bronco Mendenhall, we all know that he's a quirky dude, an insightful thinker, an introvert to the core, but a guy who had pretty incredible success across both of his runs at BYU and Virginia. The good news is, and my phone's uh, ringing out all over the place. All right. And the biggest thing is uh, with regards to his time at BYU, we, I didn't know this and maybe I, they, this is something I lost, but he said that when he decided to go into coaching, he originally didn't necessarily know what his end goal was as a coach. Obviously ends up being an assistant at Oregon State, Louisiana Tech, New Mexico, and then obviously ending up at BYU as a defense 
offensive coordinator before embarking on his uh, his was it ten year ten year run at BYU as their head coach. But it says here that Mendenhall landed the Cougars head coaching job in 2005, and after a six and six season in his first year, BYU posted back to back 11 and two campaigns. Mendenhall was an instant instant success, and yet he felt deflated. That was the first time Bronco Mendenhall decided to resign. Yes, in 2008, after an 11-2 season, Max Hall, after what John Beck had done, think about the, what he was at the height of his powers during this run at BYU, and he decided to resign. Here it is. It says, truth is, Mendenhall was never sure he want, even wanted to coach football. He's an introvert, and it's an entertainer's job. He's quiet and considered, and it's a world often dominated by whoever yells the loudest. He's a voracious reader in search of any new twist on leadership or team building or personal development, but college football can be reticent of new ideas. He got into coaching almost by default, and he had never stopped to consider whether this was actually what he wanted out of his life. Remember, this was not after the 6-6 six and six season in 2005, folks. This is after what no, been the 07 season. When BYU's 11-2, they're in the top 15 in the country. They've been absolutely lights out. Many of you will recall these seasons fondly. I was on my mission in Taiwan reading about this. Let me be very clear about this. But then, this is the funny thing about this. He called Holly. Holly, of, of course, is Bronco Mendenhall's wife, Holly Mendenhall, and, she was re- and said he was ready to find another path. She offered a succinct response. No. <laughs> She's, and this adds, it was too soon to walk away from something this big, she told him. He didn't need to quit his job at BYU. He just needed to find some meaning in something more than just the wins and the losses. Folks, how different does BYU football history look if Bronco Mendenhall would have hung it up after the 2007 season? He would have won, what was that, 11 and 11, so have been 22, uh, 20, he would have been 28 and 8 in three seasons. And then suddenly he just says, you know what? Thanks, but I'm going to move on now. I'm going to find something else to do. Wow. That would have really, I think, been... It's, we may need to explore this more in depth. Maybe make a, an episode of this. What happens if Bronco Mendenhall does hang it up in 2007, 2008, that period, during the height of his best run at BYU? What if he decides, you know what? This ain't for me. I'm out now. How different does BYU football look today with that? I Man... We need to explore that. I'm going to have to think about a little bit more about that. And if you guys have theories on what BYU football might have looked like had he hung it up at that point, feel free to weigh in. I would love to hear your guys' theories on what it might have looked like. I was just that tidbit in there. I was like, he decided to almost hang it up after going 11 and two, two straight years. But obviously, Bronco, it sounds like he's living the high life right now. He has not ruled out getting back into coaching. Uh, he has said, I, I did not use the term retirement. He said he wanted to step away, kind of get a new feel for things. The funny thing about this is it sounds like Bronco, uh, you would have thought that the NIL transfer portal, all that stuff would have been stuff that pushed him away from the game. Well, according to the comments he made to David Hell from ESPN, he actually thinks that stuff's actually really good, and that's uh, kind of a draw for him to come back to the sport potentially. Crazy, crazy stuff. Read it. Uh, take five to ten minutes and read this entire story. It was chock full of good information. And, uh, it, man, I just I cannot get over the fact that Bronco Mendenhall called his wife after going 11-2. and two. That would have been, what, two, it would have been 2007, right? Yeah, it had to have been 2007, and said, I want to hang it up. And his wife says, no, you ain't done here. <laughs> Crazy, crazy stuff. We all know the Bronco went on to do great things at BYU during his entire run. He obviously uh, came up with that football. The priority is fifth, all that stuff. Uh, He found a different priority and obviously propelled him to great success, both at BYU and at Virginia. And 
I wish uh, Coach Mendenhall nothing but the best in retirement or, I guess, pseudo-retirement for the time being. All right, that is going to do it. We are over time on today's show. A big thank you once again for making us your first listen of the day. If you want more about the Big 12 and what this uh, agreement to disagree with the Pac-12 and decide, you know what, we're going to look a different direction, well, check out the Big 12 Locked On Big 12 podcast as your second listen of the day. Josh Neighbors does a great job. I am on their weekly as part of their weekly roundtable. It's always fun talk Big 12 football and everything in between. Check that out wherever you get your podcasts just like this one, free and available on wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. Alright, that is going to do it. Have a great rest of your day. This has been the Locked On Cougars Podcast and we will talk to you guys again tomorrow. See ya.